All right, so I'm glad you're here this morning. I had a privilege, Jackie and I did, to go up to South Carolina yesterday to uh, celebrate our youngest son's college graduation. So excited for him, but not excited for another commencement address. Until the guy started by saying, hey, don't worry, as Elizabeth Taylor said to her eighth husband, I don't plan to keep you long. (laughs) That was a pretty good start to a commencement address, I thought. So some of you are going to steal that one, I am sure. Take your Bibles, if you would, and grab uh, Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. We're looking at the Jesus encounters with all the different folks in the different settings that he interacted with. And this morning's encounter actually is a carryover from last week's encounter. So let me do a quick review of last week so you can catch up if you weren't here. Last week, Jesus and the disciples are walking to Capernaum, and uh, on the way, the disciples get into an argument. And the content of their argument is what? Who's the greatest? They're literally going, I'm the greatest. No, you're not the greatest. I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. That's the argument. Jesus isn't part of it. They get to Capernaum, go into a house, and Jesus goes, hey, what were you guys talking about? And they're all like, uh, shamed. And he actually doesn't say, hey, stop arguing about who's the greatest. What he does say is, you need to understand when it comes to the kingdom of God, what greatness looks like. And so, in this context of that argument, Jesus says, oh, I'm sorry, I meant to tell you. This morning, we're going to look at some of the hardest words that Jesus ever says. Like, really hard words. So, I'm glad you're here. Because the stuff he says, well, let me give you an example. He says stuff like casting into the sea with a heavy millstone around the neck. Or cut off your hand. Or throwing out your eye. Wow. And he does it. This is what I was getting at. He does it in the context, here's what's funny, about cultivating a loving faith community. That it's usually not what we think about When we talk about cultivating a loving community is to cast into the sea and to cut off the hand and throw out the eye. But he's doing this because of that argument where he redefines greatness and he says to them, greatness in a loving faith community is actually achieved through a humility of mind. It all begins with how you think about yourself and how you think about others. And ultimately, verse Of Mark 9, verse 35, he says, hey, if you want to be great, then be willing to go last and serve all. And remember, we said last week, going last is a lot different than saying, no, you go first. Because most of us are really cool with saying, no, I'll go second or third or fourth. That's all right. What we're not cool with is going last. And Jesus said, you want to be great in my kingdom? Awesome. Go last and serve all. That's a Christian family chapel. You want to be a great church in the kingdom of God? You want to be a great church? Then, then let's be ones who, with a commitment, as we relate to one another, is to say, I'll go last. And whatever needs to be done, how can I help? You ever, you ever ask that around here? Hey, how can I help? 
Because I'm willing to do whatever is needed. Until we get there individually, then we're never really going to be great church in the kingdom of God. Because greatness in the kingdom of God is saying, I'll go last and I'll do whatever needs to be done. So we got some room to grow. It prompts this then comment by, the, by John because Jesus is, they're inside a house and it says in the text that Jesus sat down and they're around him and he takes a child and he holds him in his arm. And so there's this object lesson that Jesus has in his arm going, serve all, be willing to go last. And with a a child in his arm, he says, you know, guys, actually, if you receive a child like this, you receive me. And even bigger than that, if you receive a child, you're willing to serve a child, then that's like receiving the father. To which John goes, "Uh, Jesus, there were some other guys who were doing work in your name, but they weren't following us. So we said, hey, y'all need to stop that. And Jesus said, stop. Don't tell them to stop. If they're working in my name, regardless of whether they're following you, if they're working in my name, let it happen. That's good. Because if you're not against us, you are for us. For us. And so greatness in a loving faith community, humility, go last, serve all. Unity in a healthy, loving faith community is focused on Jesus, not us. And that's just a good word to us CFC folks. It's very easy. You get in a church, you go, no, you don't it the way we do it. Oh, you're not doing it the way we do it. And then you're not with us. It's not whether people are with us. It's they're with Jesus. It's not whether they're doing it the way we do it. It's they're doing it in Jesus' name. Division always happens in the church when we get the eyes off of Jesus and we start getting it on how we do it and who we are and what we're doing. So when we stay unified, Jesus says, have a humility of mind that goes last, serves all, and focuses on Jesus and not us. And then he continues, child in arms, seated in a house in Capernaum. He then says this, whoever causes one of these little ones who believed to stumble. It would be better for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. Now, most of us have never worked with a heavy millstone. So let me translate this to Jacksonville. Jesus is simply saying this. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it'd be better if you'd been handcuffed to a VW and pushed off the buckman. Does that make sense now? Drug to the bottom, done. That's a pretty strong language. And he's just getting warmed up. Verse 43, if your hand causes you to stumble, do what? No, 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 say it. Cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell. And now it's going to get confusing. If you have a Bible open in front of you and you use the ESV or the NIV, can I see your hand? Okay, let me just warn you. In your, I could, I did it first hour. I said, hey, would you read verse 44 for us? And they're like, there is no 44. Exactly. 
There's no verse 44 or verse 46 in the NIV or the ESV. Because, and this is just a little technical thing, then we'll move on. Early manuscripts don't always have what is said in verse 48 repeated in verse 46 and verse 44. But I always teach out the New American Standard, so lots of you use New American Standard to follow along. Just giving you a warning. If you don't have a New American Standard in front of you, 44 is gone and 46 is gone. It's simply a repeat of what is said in verse 48. New American Standard says it three times because it's the power of the effect of what he's going to say. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. Okay. And then in the New American Standard, which we use because I've always been, I'd always been taught that New American Standard, most literal and therefore best to study from, says... Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Verse 45. If your foot causes you to stumble, say it. Cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Verse 47. If your eye causes you to stumble, say it. Throw it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell where the worm does not die And the fire is not quenched. You see, Jesus used super radical language to communicate how vital it is that you and I understand life in a faith community. And two big summary points in a loving faith community, verse 42, be ultra careful not to hurt the faith of others. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But be ultra careful not to impact negatively the faith of others. And in a loving faith community, be radically attentive to personal purity. Those are, those are the big bullet points. Verse 42, 43 through 48. These are already written on your message memo. Now, look up here for a moment if you would. Don't miss the connection here. The connection between what he says in verse 42 and then 43 through 48 is this. The most significant way, the most important way that you are ultra careful not to hurt the faith of others is by being radically attentive to your own personal purity because nothing causes other people to stumble like our, like our own stumbling. Nothing causes kids to struggle with their faith more than parents who struggle in their faith. And when I say struggle, I mean they don't live it out. If parents who don't live out faith but talk faith, then kids watch it and they go, what a joke. I know who you really are when you're not at church. You see... How we live our lives is significant in how we impact others for this core reason. We don't live in isolation. That's one of the popular lies of our culture is, hey, you can do what you do. It's it's your life. You're, You're not hurting anybody else. That's just a big fat lie. When we live lives that stumble on our own faith, it does impact other people. 
We don't live in isolation. All of our lives impact others either for good or for bad. And so I want you to understand in a faith community, folks here in South, over in North, the way we function together impacts one another. We don't live in isolation. We don't worship in isolation. We don't live out our faith in isolation. We're a community. And we're a community either for good or for bad. In other words, we help people walk in their faith or we cause people to stumble in their faith. So, specifically, verse 42, he says, be ultra careful not to hurt the faith of others. And so I want us to talk about, real quickly, four things to beware of. First, beware of any example that causes others to stumble. You've heard it said, more is blank than taught. What is it? More is, more is caught than taught. Our example is our most powerful. Everybody who's been a parent gets this. The distinct memory of my, my second son, like two years old, we're out front, I'm working in the bushes, and I have that dreaded moment where I'm pulling weeds, and I'm face-to-face with a black snake. I'm like, ah! You ever had that happen to you? That's terrible. And I hate snakes. When there's a snake in our house, I, get, I call Jackie. <laughs> Seriously, I do. Because she's like, oh, really? Hey. And then she'll grab it, and she'll take it, pet it, and then dismiss it. I am freaked out by snakes. She is not bothered by snakes at all. So my heart's going, blah, 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 blah. And, and I'm like, I don't want to finish the rest of the bushes. But I need to, so my conclusion is to kick the snot out of the bushes so that any snake possibly within range would leave. So I kick the bushes, kick the bushes, kick the bushes, and then I start working, and I look over to my right, and my two-year-old's over there going. <laughs> no idea. Just following my example. And that's, that's most of what happens in life, folks. Kids are most impressionable, but don't think always kids this age. In a, in a faith community, we have 40-year-old newborns in Christ. And they're watching your example. They watch when you arrive. They learn when Christian Family Chapel shows up. They learn how you sing or how you don't sing or whether you bring a Bible or whether you don't open a Bible. They're learning. Our example communicates to kids, whatever age they are, he's saying, in a faith community, we don't live in isolation. You ever ask yourself what your example is, even on a Sunday morning, your example in your home, your example at work of your faith? Is it causing other people to walk or stumble in their faith? Because people learn from our example. Second, beware of words. The words that come out of your mouth cause people to stumble. My two-year-old bush kicker, a few years later, he's four or five. We've moved to a different house Sunday afternoon, had lunch, had a man over from the chapel. We're have, uh, sitting in the living room. I'm in the chair. He's over here on the couch. My four-year-old, five-year-old, he walks in. What the blank are you doing, blank? <laughs> and the man looks at me like, geez, so that's the way you talk around the house. And I said to him, 
to my son, what'd you say? And he's giving it. What the blank you doing, blank? <laughs> I've never heard you say that before. Where'd you hear that? That's what Joey was saying when we were shooting basketball. Ah, let me go kill Joey and then I'll be back. <laughs> See, it's again, it's not just the example, it is the words. You, you ever think about the words that come out of your mouth that go into other people's ears? That then come out of their mouths? Is that causing them to walk in their faith or stumble in their faith? Hey, dads, how about the words coming out of your mouth? That causing your kids to walk or stumble? Husbands, wives towards one another? Are the words coming out of your mouth causing them to stumble or to walk? Sometimes, see, the, the problem here may be that you think, well, Jesus was just talking about when we're around kids. It's like when the Jags used to have the south end zone was the family fun zone, no cussing, which was wildly broken. But that was the core concept. The kids are here, don't cuss. I'm not really down with, hey, cuss all you want unless the kids are there. Because Jesus using his child as an example is most impressionable, but all of us are in community either helping one another walk in faith or stumble in faith. What are your words doing? Jesus says, if your words are causing people to stumble in their faith, off the buckman, that's how important it is. The opposite, our silence. So, sometimes it's the words we don't say that cause people to stumble. Challenged by Ephesians, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Sometimes... We exasperate our kids because we never encourage. We only correct. And one of the things that the Scripture says to the body is this. As long as it's called today, encourage one another. So what is this day? It's today. Genuinely. Genuinely ask yourself, have I encouraged anyone today? I know it's only 1020, but have you encouraged anybody today? Because some stumble due to lack of encouragement. Some stumble due to lack of admonishment. Our words make a difference. Our silence can make a difference. And then, and this one I can't delve into completely, but the New Testament talks a tremendous about amount about freedoms. Freedoms that cause other people to, to stumble. In other words, we're very clear here at the chapel. We, we want to live with the Word of God here. Under the authority of the Word of God, where the Bible speaks, we say, yes, Lord. It's not here for consideration. It's here. But sometimes in some areas of life, the Bible doesn't speak directly. Directly. 
And so we can come to varying conclusions. We have freedom because the Bible does not give an authoritative yes or no. But it's in that freedom that we need to make sure that we don't cause other people to stumble. One of the key stumbling blocks in the New Testament was this whole idea of, and this is not relevant to us, but I want you to understand what the scripture is going to say to us, was food sacrifice to idols. And it's for this reason. Prior to the gospel being declared and the church growing as people were born again and grow in Christ, most people would have been involved, their religious practice would have been idol worship. And part of that would have been sacrificing, making food sacrifices to please the gods. And then these temples would turn around, they'd have all this food that had been sacrificed to idols and then sell it. And it was the cheapest way to get meat. It was like the discount wholesale at the temple. But people who had as their experience in their life idol worship would look at food sacrificed to idol and go, how could you dare eat that? That's tainted by, that's, that's participating in idol worship. So some were strongly against and others were went, there's no such thing as an idol. So therefore, if you offered a, a pizza to an idol, after it was offered to the idol, what was it? A pizza. It was still pizza. Was it like bad pizza now? It was just still pizza. Now it was cheap pizza. And cold cheap pizza. And so if you were in idol worship, no, you can't eat it. If you weren't, it was like, sweet, awesome deal. So Paul writes in Romans 14, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore in terms of our freedoms, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in another's way. And then he uses the example, verse 14. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. So a pizza offered to an idol is not unclean because the idol doesn't exist. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it's what? It's unclean. And therefore, if it's unclean, it's sin. So Paul's conclusion, for if because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. Remember, that's the point here. How do we live in a loving faith community? Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil for the kingdom of God is not, hey, I get to eat it, I don't get to eat it. It's not eating or drinking. What's the kingdom of God about? Three things. What is it? Righteousness, peace, and joy. Don't miss it. We've got all sorts of gray areas in our culture. And sometimes the church gets divided and people are unloving about how they exercise their freedom. And Paul says, the goal is not to do what you can do as long as whatever you're free to do the goal is to promote righteousness peace and joy and when you 
exercise freedom, ignoring how it hurts others. You're not encouraging righteousness. You're encouraging unrighteousness in them. And you're not promoting peace. You're promoting division in the church. And where there's division, there's just never joy. So, when it comes to freedoms, you really don't, I really don't get the freedom to go, well, it's my life. I can do what I want. I have a clear conscience before the Lord. I have more than me to consider because I don't live in, what was the word? Isolation. And you don't either. So Jesus has the baby in his arms, this little child in his arms, and says, you just can't do what you, you got to think about how your life impacts other people. And the most impactful way we live our lives is in being radically attentive to our own personal purity. And so this is when, in verses 43 through 48, he says, cut off your hand, cut off your foot. And do what? Throw out the eye. Does he really literally mean chop it off? Now, let me be careful here. Because... It's easy to go, no, he doesn't mean that. But once we start going down the path of, oh, Jesus was just speaking figuratively there, pretty soon I've seen lots of people take very clear things, literal things from the Scripture, and turn them figurative. So the reason, let me give you just two simple reasons. I don't think Jesus is saying literally, cut off your hand. Number one, he'd said to do it if you causes you to stumble. From after this point, Jesus teaching this, did the disciples ever stumble? <laughs> yeah, plenty. But what did Jesus never do? He never got out the machete and started whacking limbs off. Really? I, I, I say that jokingly and seriously at the same time. Jesus is very committed that we be towards personal purity, but he never whacked limbs off of his own disciples. Second reason. If you've been with us for a number of weeks now, wasn't that long ago in Mark 7, Jesus said, hey, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out of him. And it's what comes out of him because what comes out of you comes from where? The heart. So you could cut the hand off, cut the foot off, and throw the eye out and still sin because you still It doesn't come in this way. It comes out that way. So what's Jesus saying? Two principles here. And then I'll unpack them with some application. First principle that I think Jesus is teaching here is is that there is temporary sacrifice. And I don't mean literally the sacrifice of chopping the hand off. But we'll, we'll talk about those sacrifices in a moment. There are temporary sacrifices... that are better than eternal suffering. There are worthy things to say no to in the short term for the long term. Second principle, amputating access and opportunity are effective ways to overcome 
sinful patterns. Not literally throwing out the eye, but you can keep your eye and amputate what goes into it, right? So, three principles in being radically attentive to personal purity is first that we would be willing to keep our eye but amputate what we see. And there's not a, there's not a guy on this planet who has not attempted to please God in personal purity and not been faced with the reality of the fact that we live in a culture that is just overwhelmed with sexually stimulating images that are, that are designed to promote lust and impurity. And that if we're going to, and it's not just guys, that a lady come up to me after Thursday night, you know women struggle with lust too. I don't have personal experience with that. But I'll take word for it. I know guys struggle with lust. And the guy who does not amputate what he sees and looks freely at whatever the world has to offer is going to stumble badly in their faith. We got to take action. We have to be willing to go, I'm going to amputate what I see, meaning I'm going to put some protective measures, whether it's on my computer, protective measures of accountability to always access to what I have on a screen. I have to have some accountability, some protection, some willingness to amputate. Because if I look at everything that's available, lust will rule my heart. Now, that's not news to men in this room. But guys, we can sometimes ride ways of being really committed and then we get lax. And I'm just saying, I think the Lord's saying to you this morning, saying to me this morning, don't get lax. Be radically attentive to be diligent. Guard your eyes. It's, it's, what, it's what Job says. I've made a covenant with my eyes. What the psalmist, turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Folks, it makes a difference what goes in here. It's causing tremendous stumbling in men's personal lives and in marriage. So, serious stuff, strong language. Have you gotten lax? Be, be more radical, guys. Hey, gals. Again, this, is only, this isn't only gals. But how many women have to tell me social media, what it does to them in terms of watching other people's lives displayed in a false world of pictures and posts that only capture a slice of life, the best of life. Because nobody posts the worst of life. 
But how many ladies have said to me, I just had to go dark. I guess that's the term. I had to go dark because I just recognize my eyes were leading to jealousy and just lack of contentment. But then what happens? Oh, but, but it's hard. I, I want to find out what's going on. And so we find our way back in and then we get lax. So I don't know what your deal is. I know Jesus recognized that for every one of us, there's something that will go into our eyes that will cause us to stumble on our faith if we're not radically committed to say, now I'm going to amputate that. Because this impacts the heart and what comes out of me comes from the heart. Amputate where you go. That's the cut off the foot. Cut off the foot. It's the horrible thing they actually did to run away slaves. So they couldn't run away again. They were radically committed. In a way that sometimes we're not radically committed ourselves. To, to where we go. Can, can I give you... And I give you just a phenomenal picture in Proverbs chapter 7. Turn to Proverbs chapter 7. Because he paints a picture here. The specific example is adultery. But it's, it's the same path that leads to destruction. The example is adultery, but it can be any number of paths that lead to destruction. It says this, Proverbs chapter 7. Start in verse 4. It says, say to wisdom, you're my sister. That's a great expression. Is wisdom part of your family? Say to wisdom, you're my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend. This is key. Do you have a friend called understanding and a sister called wisdom? It's so important that they, wisdom and understanding, may keep you from an adulteress. This is a specific example, but it go for anything. From the foreigner who flatters with her words. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice, and I saw among the naive. A, a naive person does not have a sister called, and a friend called, understanding. And discerned among the youth a young man lacking sense. Passing through the street near her corner. Whose corner? The adulterous woman's corner. And he takes the way to her house. Now, look up here if you would. I have underlined, he takes the way to her house. Amputate where we go. He goes down that path. But do you notice why he went down her path? Because he was foolish enough to go near her corner. Every person in this room has seen this work out in your own life. You know you shouldn't go somewhere. If it's drink, it's to a bar. If it's drink, it's to the aisle that has the alcohol. If it's lust, it's to a site. If it's jealousy, it's to the mall. <laughs> shouldn't go somewhere. But you go near. 
And then once you go near, it's just hard not to go down the path. All of us go near thinking we're not, well, we're not really going down the path. But we're just warming ourselves. Just be honest with yourself. You're just warming yourself up. Because nobody goes down the path without first going near. You've got to amputate, not just going down the path. You've got to amputate going near. Because he knows it goes near, he ends up going down the, the path. And the next about 15 verses or so talk about how she seduces him. It, it gets summarized, verse 21, with her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly, he follows I'm not sure I buy, suddenly he follows. I think it's been a predictable path. There's not like, oh, wow, how did I end up here? Some, we always end up where we end up because of small little decisions of where we go. We must amputate more than just the path. I think what suddenly happens is this. Suddenly, as an ox goes to the slaughter, suddenly the slaughter happens. There's one in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare so he does not know that it will cost him his life. Hey, what suddenly happens is the bill comes due. For the unwillingness to amputate where you go. If you do not amputate where you go, the bill is going to come due, friends. The bill in your personal life, the, girl, the bill in your marriage, the bill in your family, the bill in your finances, the bills come and due if you do not amputate where you go. Now, therefore, here it is. Here's the conclusion. Please listen. Listen to me. Pay attention. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. Because once you do, it's for sure. Where do you go? Where do you need to stop going? I commend the men who I know who said... I have to change jobs because I can't go to that workplace anymore because of what happened or what is going to happen. I can't go there anymore. Radical amputation. I commend folks who recognize what's in their heart and go, I can't go near that corner. I can't go near that in life. Not because near is sin. Because once I know I go near, then I'll go down, and then suddenly the bill's going to come due. Finally, amputate what you cling to. Amputate what you cling to. This is cut off the hand. And I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be uh, rude here, insensitive, but if, if you didn't have a hand, it'd be hard to hold on to stuff, wouldn't it? So I think what Jesus is getting on there is, is what do we hold on to? What do we cling to? What do we say? I don't want to let go of. And by being unwilling to let go, Jesus gives this great picture. 
It's in the parable, the sower and the seed. And he talks about seed that goes on the hard path, seed that goes in the rocky soil, and then seed that goes among the thorns. And that's so often us. He says, the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked, and here's us, with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. You see, I I hope I have your ears right now. When Jesus says, cut it off, it's not because he's against you. It's because he is for you. And he knows the stuff that you will cling to will ultimately choke you. Jesus is not against you. He's not trying to ruin your life. He's saying, amputate what you see, where you go, what you do. Don't be the ox that goes to slaughter. Take action now. Look at what what you cling to and recognize. As you cling to it, no matter what God says, as you cling to it, At one point, your clinging is going to lead to your choking. And it's going to keep you from the very life that that God intends for you. The righteousness, joy, and peace that are the kingdom of God. So it's strong language. Cut it off, throw it out. But not because Jesus is a killjoy, but actually because he loves you. And he knows how radical you and I have to be in order to keep ourselves from stumbling so that what will happen? So that we don't cause others to stumble because you and I don't get to live in isolation. Hey, when I stumble, it hurts you. When you stumble, it hurts others. We need to be radically committed to believe Jesus loves us. He is so zealous. Let me go back to Romans 14 and show you the principle. The specific example was this. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. That was just one example. Take the example out and you get the timeless principle. Do not destroy him for whom Christ died. Did Christ die for you? Yes or no? Yes. And don't destroy by where you go what you cling to. By an unwillingness to amputate what you see. Don't destroy your life for which Christ died. Did Christ die for the person beside you? Yeah. Then don't destroy them by your example, your words, your silence your freedoms. It's a loving community that Jesus is calling us to live in. But it takes some radical commitment in our personal lives and an ultra-careful commitment to the people around us. But CFC, if we would really take Jesus seriously this morning, 
What a faith community. What a great faith community he would grow us into. But we've got to start with the hard stuff. So would you ask the Lord, reveal to me, if I'm hurting the faith of someone else, would you be willing to ask him that this morning? Maybe something's already in your head and you know you need to go and confess. You know you need to change. You're hurting the faith of somebody. Lord, would you reveal, is there something that needs to be removed in my life? Because I keep stumbling. I I think it's going to change. It's just never changed. I got to get a little more radical. Lord, would you, would you by your spirit that you have graciously given to us, speak to each individual heart this morning. Thank you for speaking to my heart. And I pray that you would grow us individually, grow us as a community of faith to the praise of your glory. Would you find us not to be hearers only who delude, deceive ourselves, but to be humble responders to your word. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, if we can, really seriously, can we pray for you? Then there's men and women available to pray with you this morning. Maybe the Lord spoke to you in a unique way. Uh, Let us be willing to pray for you. Next week, if you're going to be out of town, if you can't be here next Sunday, guess what? See you Thursday. God bless. Thanks for being here.